This retelling was written, recorded, and produced by me, Charlie Rarick, at SLB Radio Youth Media Center. When writing this retelling, I used several versions of the story as a reference, mainly taking inspiration from Ovid's original myth in the poem Metamorphoses and Liv Albert's retelling from the podcast Let's Talk About Myths, Baby. It was important for me when recording this to give Arachne autonomy over her decisions and to give her the voice she lacked in the original myth. I was inspired by Liv's feminist take with her retelling, but I wanted to portray Goddess Athena in a more positive light than she had. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Arachne of Lydia sat at her loom, finishing off her latest tapestry amidst the usual crowd that was drawn in by her work. The nymphs and Lydian women surrounding her gasped in awe as she removed the fabric from her loom and held it up for display. They were astounded by her talents, and their enthusiastic applause and praise showed this. The scene she created depicted the story of Ariadne, who helped her lover Theseus to kill her minotaur brother and was subsequently abandoned by him on the island of Naxos. The crowd pulled in closer to examine her work. It's brilliant, one of the river nymphs declared. Look at that purple wool. I've never seen any thread so vibrantly colored. The other women nodded their agreement, hands running over the wool in reverence. Purple dye was an uncommon commodity in this time. Her father, Idmon, was a remarkable dyer who first discovered Tyrian purple, a color he achieved by grinding murex shells into pigmentation. His discovery brought him little fame, however. Most people knew him because of his daughter's weaving. Arachne was the most talented weaver in Lydia, perhaps even in the whole country. Her handiwork was so precise, so delicately woven, that no flaw could ever be found. Arachne was not taught her skills by her father nor by her mother, who passed away during her early childhood. She had no female relatives to teach her the craft, and none of the women neighboring her had ever offered to tutor her in the art of weaving. Arachne, instead, was self-taught. She honed her skills through years of practice, countless mistakes, and many failed attempts. She perfected her craft through blood, sweat, and tears. Her talent was something that she was incredibly proud of, though some say she was too proud. Your skills are truly incredible. It is clear that you were taught by Pallas Athena herself, the woman closest to her said, and the others once again nodded in agreement. This comment, in some variation, was told to Arachne every time she sat at her loom. It was inescapable for her hard-earned talent to be labeled as an act of divine ability as opposed to her own devotion to her craft. Arachne despised this. It's not that she had no faith, for she believed in the gods and their influence just as anyone else. She was merely unappreciative of how easily these people looked to the gods as an explanation for any impressive talent they find, especially that of a mortal woman from a humble background. These were just the kind of women the gods were known to silence. Arachne smiled at the women around her. I am no student of Lady Athena. She has never taught me so much as how to hold a shuttle. I learned to weave without help from any mortal or deity, and my skill has developed from my own devotion to the craft. It was the same response she gave every time someone dismissed her abilities. 
As usual, the crowd seemed surprised by her response. Are you sure of this, Arachne? The woman looked troubled. Pallas Athena is the goddess of spinning and weaving. Surely you attribute at least some of your great skill to her. I am sure of this. Let it be known that Pallas Athena has had no hand in my weaving abilities. The crowd around Arachne shifted, and an elderly woman pushed through. She was short, with a hunched figure, her old bones being supported by a wooden staff. Her gray eyes peered up at Arachne through wisps of thinning hair. She spoke to the young girl standing before her. My dear child, you should heed the words of a wise elder such as myself. It is not wrong of you to long for praise from mortals, but it is ignorant for you to deny Lady Athena's influence. It would be best for you to ask forgiveness from her. I can assure you that if you come to her humbly, she will gladly pardon your wrongdoings. Arachne looked the old woman in the eyes, gray eyes bright and clear of cataracts. They contrasted her wrinkled face almost unnaturally. Arachne had the faint suspicion that she recognized these eyes. You should save your advice for your own daughter's woman. I have no reason to seek forgiveness for the truth. If Lady Athena wishes for my apology, she should come down from the heavens and get it herself. Only then shall I rescind my statement. The women around her were visibly shocked. They had never heard someone respond so proudly in the face of offending the gods. Many of them backed away from Arachne, and some even left her presence completely, afraid they would offend the goddess by association. Unlike the others, the old woman seemed unfazed. Foolish girl, she scolded. Pallas Athena is already here. With this, the gray-eyed goddess shed her disguise and appeared in her true form in a flash of light. The women and nymphs were without words. They fell to their knees in worship, singing their praises to the goddess and weeping. Athena took no notice of them. She was instead staring at the girl before her. Her eyes were a storm, and Arachne could have sworn she saw lightning in them. Needless to say, her suspicion was correct. She has offended a goddess, and now she must pay. Before Arachne could react, Athena spoke again. Since you are so proud, surely you would wish to partake in a contest. Arachne, at this point, knew her fate was sealed. No mortal ever contested against a god and survived to tell the tale, at least not in their original form. Even if she won, Arachne knew the gods were too proud to ever accept their loss graciously. This fact should have frightened her. A predestined death at the hands of an offended goddess was not the way she imagined her passing. But instead, she was surprisingly calm. The outcome was unavoidable, but she still had something to say before she was silenced. Arachne did not plan on going down without a fight. Well, what say you? Arachne looked at the women around her. They had ceased their conversation and awaited her response anxiously. They were clustered together, the Lydian women and the nymphs. Mortals and minor deities united over their shared interest in Arachne's work. Now they were the sole witnesses to a divine setup, the censure of an artist, a young girl's swan song. The goddess waited impatiently before her. I accept this challenge. Athena smiled, and with a flick of her wrist, a solid gold loom appeared next to Arachne's beaten wooden loom. Let us begin.
Pallas Athena heard of Arachne's hubris before she had gone down to the mortal realm to visit her. She decided to give her a chance to redeem herself, to realize her mistakes and beg for forgiveness like all other humans do. When her disregard for Athena's assistance went so far, however, she knew intervention was necessary. Pallas Athena indeed had a hand in Arachne's training. She was the presence that guided her shuttle, the spiritual hand that aided in her spinning of wool. She even helped her father develop the purple dye that Arachne received so much acclaim for using in her yarns. Athena never revealed herself to the girl, but all mortals knew to attribute their successes to the gods' aid. Every other person knew that they only succeeded because the gods saw it fit. Everyone except Arachne. This tapestry was going to serve as a warning to her, and to any other mortal who dared to defy the gods. Athena sat at her loom and got to work quickly. With just a divine thought, finely spun wool appeared in the goddess's hands. She heard the crowd's astonishment as they watched pigment from plants and other natural objects around them seep into the yarn and dye them brilliant shades only a god could achieve. Athena continued her preparations with young Arachne cross-armed behind her and began at once. Pallas Athena stepped back from the finished tapestry, admiring her work. The scene below her took place on the Hill of Mars. Athena's tapestry told the story of the claiming of Athens. She depicted her brother, Lord Poseidon, striking a rock with his mighty trident. Bursting from the rock was a horse, which had never been known to man before. This was his offer to the city, his attempts at laying claim. Athena wove herself in her well-known armor and helm, with a spear at her side. Her gift to the city was the first olive tree. This was the gift that the people preferred, thus naming their city in honor of her, Athens. The twelve Olympian gods were positioned above the scene, with Zeus in the middle looking down upon his daughter's victory proudly. The goddess watched as Arachne's eyes were drawn to the four corners of the tapestry. This was the warning. The main scene showcased Athena's power and strength, but these images were a direct threat to any mortal who dared to test the gods. The top left corner featured a set of mountains. Rhodope and Hamus, humans that were punished for their hubris. The top right, the queen of the pygmies, who was transformed into a crane for contesting with goddess Hera. The bottom left corner told the story of Antigone, who offended the queen of the gods. She dared to compare herself to the goddess, and was subsequently turned into a stork. The final corner pictured a man weeping on a set of marble stairs. This man was Cyrus, who frequently boasted of his daughter's beauty, Beauty he claimed to suppress that of goddess Aphrodite. As a result, Hera transformed his three daughters into a staircase leading up to her temple. These stories, all sharing a common theme, warned Arachne of the fate that awaited her. Pallas Athena did not believe it was cruel to make Arachne wear for hubris by punishing her for it. It's simply the role of the gods. Athena stepped back from her golden loom as Arachne approached her own. She had a look of determination on her face a look that showed that she had no fear of whatever may happen to her. Pallas Athena smiled at the girl's courage. She would never confess to this, but she was rather fond of Arachne's weaving. She hoped she didn't disappoint.
Arachne was not stupid. She knew what Athena's tapestry warned of. She knew what the gods did to disobedient mortals. That's why this is so important, she decided. She was going to show Athena and all the other gods just how well she understood this. She got to work quickly. Her shuttle flew swiftly across the loom. Any other weaver would not be able to achieve control and quality results at this great a speed, but Arachne was not just any other weaver. She was exceptional. The faces she wove looked so real, so lifelike, that you would expect to feel the warmth of body heat with the touch. Myriad hues appeared beside just the Tyrian purple she was known for. The gradient of color was so subtle, so delicately woven, it looked as natural as the morning sunrise changing from pink to yellow to orange. The tapestry amazed any woman who looked upon it. The crowd at this point was larger than ever. They remained a respectful distance away from Arachne and goddess Athena, peering over the heads in front of them for just a glance at the art that was being created. Excitement buzzed in the air. Just how was Arachne going to top Pallas Athena's weaving? How was a mortal woman going against the goddess of weaving herself? How could she be so proud as to challenge a god? Do you think she hasn't any chance? Why won't she just admit her inferiority? Arachne heard their talk. Their questions fueled her fire. How could these people not understand? She was not just challenging a goddess in a mere weaving contest. She was challenging the gods' actions against humans. If the gods were not so proud, so egotistical, they would not be in this situation right now. Arachne was here because Lady Athena could not bear the thought of a mortal being better at something than her. She could not concede in this contest because either way she was going to lose. No matter how good mortals are, the gods always have to be better, and they'll destroy every human in their way until they are. Arachne wove her frustrations into her tapestry. Unfolding before her was her largest creation to date and her proudest one at that. As the scenes came together under her fingertips, she smiled to herself. She could feel Athena's gaze and her disbelief at what she was witnessing. Arachne continued working, wishing she would live long enough to witness any change that this tapestry would bring to the world. Arachne let out a deep breath as she finished off her piece. She held it up to the crowd, to her opponent, and awaited what came next. Instead of telling one story in her tapestry, she told as many as she could feasibly weave. There were the stories of fifteen women told in the fibers of her work. Women who were captured, deceived, assaulted, raped by various gods. Their stories were told as follows. The first victim was Europa, tricked by Zeus, the king of the gods, in the form of a bull. Europa was positioned on the back of the bull, crashing through waves as she was being taken away for Zeus to have his way with her. She was shown in the midst of a cry for help, her face panicked and her arm outstretched toward the safety of the shore. Beside her was Zeus's abduction of Asteria. He took her in the disguise of an eagle, piercing her flesh with his talons. To save herself, Asteria threw herself into the Aegean Sea. Arachne wove Leda and Antiope, both taken by Zeus in the form of a swan and a satyr, respectively, the latter of the women being impregnated with twins. Alcamene was next, who Amphitryon took the form of her husband to seduce. Danae followed, being impregnated by Zeus as a shower of gold. Aegina was next, as well as Mnemosyne. 
Hades' abduction of Persephone was shown next, the goddess of spring and growth who unwillingly became the queen of the underworld. Arachne next wove Poseidon's victims. Disguised as a river god, he impregnated Iphimedia with the twin giants Aloidae. As a ram, he assaulted Visaltes, and he took the form of a horse to take the goddess of agriculture, Demeter. The Gorgon Medusa was deceived by him in the form of a bird, and begot the winged horse called Pegasus. The ocean god's final victim was the nymph Melantho, who he raped in the form of a dolphin. Phoebus Apollo was shown next, taking the forms of a countryman, a hawk, a lion, and once more as a farmhand to seduce Isi. Wine god Dionysus was woven next, disguised as a large cluster of delusive grapes to entice Erigone. Finally, the titan god Kronos was shown, assaulting the oceanid Philyra in the form of a horse, and begot Chiron. To finish off the tapestry, Arachne surrounded these graphic scenes with interlacing flowers and ivy leaves. Athena approached the tapestry slowly, walking around it several times to inspect every inch. The goddess, visibly frustrated, could not find a single fleck or flaw. Even envy itself cannot censure perfect art. Before Arachne could process what was happening, she was struck over the head. Looking up, she saw an enraged Athena towering over her with her weaving shuttle. You insolent girl, she spat. You blasphemous, arrogant wench. How dare you insult the gods in such a way? The goddess beat her twice more. Arachne was able to shield herself and stumble away. She reached up a cautious hand to her scalp and winced, feeling the stinging of an open wound. Arachne stood her ground, though she was not as confident now that she was face to face with an angered and violent goddess. I have told nothing but the truth. I have shown the gods exactly as they are, predatory and cruel. Your actions here today have just further proved this. And with this, she fled. She pushed her way through the crowd of women who were still watching in fear. She did not look back to see if Pallas Athena was following behind her. She knew she would not have to. The goddess could smite her out of existence with just a thought while she sat upon her throne at Mount Olympus. Arachne wove between houses, knowing her attempt at escape was futile. She slowed her pace once she deemed herself far enough away from the scene of the crime. She found herself in what seemed to be a carpenter's workstation, surrounded by wood and tools and other equipment Arachne was not familiar with. Sinking down under the nearest tree... An olive tree, she realized with a cruel sense of irony. Arachne sat defeated. She thought she was okay with dying for a cause. She was so confident, so self-assured. Deep down, Arachne thought it wouldn't end this way. That perhaps her tapestry would affect the goddess so profoundly that she would let her get away with her offense. She thought that her tapestry, her showcase of the gods' abuse, would inspire change in the immortals. What was she thinking? Of course, Arachne meant everything she had said, but she could not believe how important she felt herself to be, to single-handedly uproot an ancient and immortal system. Arachne looked up to the heavens, breathing heavily. Any second now, she reasoned, Athena could decide to end her life. She looked around, taking in what might be her last moments, the last things she'll ever see. There was a coil of rope not too far from where she sat. To her left, she saw an overturned stool. 
Arachne stared for a moment, then stood, gathering her confidence once more. Any second now, Athena could end her life. Arachne righted the stool, picked up the rope, and tied it. She could still have control of her fate. Athena would not get the satisfaction of killing Arachne if she did it first. Every time Athena felt that Arachne could no longer surprise her, she went and proved her wrong. Pallas Athena stood staring up at Arachne. Foolish girl, she muttered at her lifeless, bloated face. What were you thinking? Athena could not tell if it was out of pity or disgust that she removed the noose from her sacred tree. The body fell ungraciously to the dirt, next to the overturned stool and one of the girl's fallen sandals. The goddess held up the end of the rope, shaking her head as she did so. I cannot allow you to go unpunished, even if you have crossed into Hades' realm, she said. The goddess pulled a small pouch from her robe, sprinkling its contents upon Arachne's body. These were the herbs from the goddess Hecate, who was the queen of witchcraft and magic. For the rest of time, you and your descendants are cursed to dangle on a cord, to live for the sole purpose of weaving your webs. As she spoke, the spilled contents quickly took effect. Arachne's noose became almost transparent, thinning down to a sticky thread. Her body began convulsing, with the sharp cracking of bone filling the quiet air. Arachne's body was horrifically changing. Her hair fell out in clumps, her nose and ears shrunk into her skull. Her skull itself was shrinking rapidly, along with the rest of her body. Her skin turned a bruised black color. Finally, her limbs multiplied, becoming a total of eight fine legs. Arachne hung from the thread that Athena held, swaying in the breeze. She had become a spider, an arachnid. The weaver expelled more web from her spinneret and began practicing her craft once more. <laughs>